Hi, peeps. You're listening to She's My Cherry Pie, a brand new baking podcast from Cherry Bomb. I'm your host, Jessie Sheehan. I'm a baker, recipe developer, and the author of three baking books, including my latest, Snackable Bakes. Each episode, I'm hanging out with world-class bakers and taking a deep dive into their signature baked goods. Today, we're talking about one of the most popular baked goods ever, the birthday cake. And our guest is one of the most popular bakers out there, Joy Wilson, a.k.a. Joy the Baker. A self-taught baker, Joy was one of the first to use the Internet as a tool for teaching and spreading literal joy when it comes to baking. She's also authored three baking books, is editor-in-chief of the Joy the Baker magazine, and has a line of baking mixes at Williams-Sonoma. And then there's her fun Instagram project, Drake on Cake, which is literally Drake lyrics on cakes. Joy and I talk all things birthday cake, including how to zhuzh up a boxed cake mix and her technique for frosting layer cakes. If you want to make one of Joy's birthday cakes at home, and I hope you do, you can find Joy's recipe in our show notes. Thank you to Le Creuset and California Prunes for sponsoring today's episode. Since She's My Cherry Pie is a brand new podcast, I have a few favors to ask. First, I would love for you to subscribe to the show via your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to leave a five-star rating. Yes, folks, I'm asking for five. And a review. And let me know what bakers and baked goods you'd like me to feature on future episodes. Also, you can subscribe to our free baking newsletter at cherrybomb.com. You'll receive it each week before the show airs, so you'll know about the signature baked good and special guest ahead of time. Now here's a word about Le Creuset. For nearly a century, Le Creuset has been creating joy in the kitchen and beyond as the first in colorful cookware, the finest in quality and design, and the favorite for generations of cooks and bakers. And you know what? I love my Le Creuset so much that I have them hanging on the wall in my kitchen. I use them when I bake for melting butter, for making honeycomb candy and caramel, for shoe pastry, and more. And also, of course, when I cook. They are literally my everything. And this season, I will definitely be baking bread in their new bread oven. If you haven't seen it, it's a two-piece enameled cast iron set that includes a domed lid to help trap and circulate steam for that perfect, golden, crispy crust every time. It comes in gorgeous Le Creuset colors, including flame, cerise, and Marseille, which happens to be my Le Creuset color. Whether you're making a wish list for your kitchen or want to add to your existing collection, head to LeCreuset.com to discover the world of Le Creuset, browse their beautiful colors, and even snag some recipes. Let's chat with today's guest. Joy! So happy to have you here on She's My Cherry Pie. Before we dive into literally my favorite topic, which is birthdays and cake combined, I thought we would do a little bit of background, and I wanted to know if you could tell us all a little bit about how you got into baking. I know there was a lot of health food going down in your childhood home, and I wanted to hear and have you tell us all how that led to the baker that you are today. 
Oh my gosh, there was so much tofu in my childhood <laughs> home in the 80s, like a criminal amount. Had I known how to call 911, I might have considered it. So the one loophole in my health food family, and honestly, I'm glad for those habits my parents instilled, but the loophole was that if we could make a treat from scratch, that we could eat it. And so I was highly motivated as a youth to make anything Aside from something with like carob chips. Remember the, oh, oh my, my God, the things we suffered through. So when I was little, the first thing I taught myself how to bake was brownies because the instructions were on the unsweetened chocolate box. I was like, I can read, I can do this. And that unlocked something in me that <laughs> changed my entire life. Also, my dad is a great baker. and My mom is a great cake decorator. So I think it's in the blood. Like, I know you've talked about your dad being an incredible pie maker and like his sweet potato pie is Instagram famous at this point. And your I mom know, with the cakes. Legendary. I love <laughs> I know. that. I love that. I guess it's all about balance, right? Yes. But also the funny thing about my parents' health food was that it's not like health food was now. The amount of cheese that they would put in things was also legendary. So we had this dish we used to make a lot as a family called tofu potato bake. It was crumbled up tofu, potatoes, green onions, and so much cheddar cheese. It's not really health food anymore. But that's what we were doing. In Honey, the you're speaking my cheese love language. Yeah, Hello, melted sure. cheese and tofu. I'm in. And then I know for a while you were working at maybe two bakeries when you first graduated from college. Was there baking going on in college too, or did it just come upon you when you graduated? I feel like I've been working in food service just my entire life. So my first job in high school was at Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's outside of a movie theater in Los Angeles. So we were very popular. And I just really loved working at Ben and Jerry's. Then I, I loved it so much, I moved to literal Burlington, Vermont to work for Ben and Jerry's. And I started decorating oh their ice cream cakes there and ice cream wedding cakes. It was like a whole vibe. And then when I went to college in Seattle and Los Angeles, I worked in bakeries just to get myself through because I knew, I knew that field. I knew how to work in food service and I loved it. So yeah, I found myself working in lots of different bakeries. Can I just say the idea that you were decorating cakes at Ben and Jerry's, like in Vermont, in the mothership of all the, I'm just like, so I grew up in Boston. So even though I, it wasn't Vermont, it was very Ben and Jerry's focused. So yeah. I just love hearing that. And then the blog started in like 2008. Is that right? The blog started in 2008, which makes this year, the year of our Lord, 2023, my 15th year as Joy oh the Baker. Gosh, I amazing. have done the math on that a couple different times because math is not my forte. And I'm like, is that right? Can that be correct? But I think it is. And talk to me about the cookbooks. They grew out of the blogging. Was it like one of those situations many of us dream about where you're just approached by someone who knows the blog who would like to publish a cookbook? Or how did it go down? I think that's how the first cookbook went down. A literary agent wrote me an email that I ignored for three months because I didn't know what a literary agent was, or I just thought it was fake. I just was like, this is not a thing. And I was still working in a restaurant at that time. And I, a couple months later, I got fired from that restaurant job. And I thought, I'm either going to print out more resumes and find another job, or I'm going to dig through my email and see if that literary agent thing was a real, is that real? And maybe I can make something out of that email. Maybe I can make more of an entire life and career out of it. And that's exactly what I did. 
Honey, I love that. I love that. And tell us about your first book. I have it here in my hand, Joy the Baker Cookbook, which I love. Oh, my gosh. Joy the Baker Cookbook. It came out in 2012. She's an old gal by now. So my first cookbook is 100 of my most earnest, sincere recipes, shot most earnest and sincerely by myself, styled by no one but myself. So it's like, it's earnest. And then will you tell us a little bit about the magazine, which I also have right here and which I love, because this is so cool. I don't know if the listeners know that there is a Joy the Baker magazine. Yeah, Joy the Baker magazine is, it started in 2020. And it is a nationally distributed magazine that you can find at the grocery store. I write them usually around Christmas time. I had a one-off that was a summer magazine, but they're usually holiday magazines. You you know, that time when we're doing all of our best baking, (laughs) holiday baking, Thanksgiving baking. So yeah, it's a magazine that has all new recipes in it. And It's just one of my favorite things to do. And I really like that it's like a short form publishing model. So like I I can write it in the summer and it comes out a couple months later. It's in people's hands. It's in people's kitchens. And I just love that. So it's not the kind of thing where you're writing it like with uh, what we do with cookbooks where you like write it one year and then like maybe in a couple years you're going to see that book come out. It must be nice to make something and then see it in people's hands. Yeah, that's I feel like that's what I want to do now. I'm not saying I won't ever write another cookbook, but that length of time, those years, I change so much. I feel like my work changes, my style changes. I just, I don't want to work that far out anymore. Yep. I totally hear you. I totally hear you. Could you tell us also a little bit about being a baking instructor and about the bakehouse in New Orleans? Yeah. Oh my gosh, the bakehouse, my pride and joy. I bought a double shotgun house in New Orleans in 2016 after living there for a couple years. And one side of the house is just like a giant dining room, big open kitchen, and then a little entertaining area, no walls in betweens, just like a giant hallway. And I turned that space into my dream space that I called the bakehouse, where I do all of my cooking and shooting for Joy the Baker. But I was also like, it was also at a time before the pandemic and after I had been a person of the internet for a while where I was like, I want people near me. How could we do that again? I built a small team and a website and I was like, we're going to have classes. We're going to have 12 to 16 people around this very kitchen island and I'm going to teach them how to bake out of this kitchen oven. I'm just going to buy a bunch of rolling pins, a bunch of bowls. This is it. Let's do it. And I ran the bakehouse in New Orleans until the pandemic, until 2020, we would have at least two classes a month on the weekends. We would sell out. People would come from far away to take classes in my little kitchen. Tron was there. It was like, dare I say, a little hodgepodge, but also super elite. Somehow I pulled it off and it was just a dream. That sounds amazing. I always wanted to visit. And then finally, I just wanted you to tell us a teeny bit about Drake on Cake, which is so awesome. And it needs more explanation, at least for me, because I just look at it. and I'm like, this is amazing. But what am I looking at? And for people that don't know, that's like a Instagram handle of Joy's. Yes. Yes. Drake on Cake is an Instagram handle. It's entirely ridiculous. I think I started it, I don't know, 2014 or 15. And I thought to myself one day... Drake rhymes with cake. Why aren't we doing something with that? Why aren't we, why aren't we doing something? And so I started 
piping Drake lyrics onto cake <laughs> for no other reason that it was completely ridiculous right. and funny to me. Right. <laughs> and I would style the cakes pretty simply in the beginning, but then the styling started to get like more storytelling, more elaborate. And it was just, it's completely over the top. I love it. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thank you to California Prunes for sponsoring this episode of She's My Cherry Pie. What do California prunes have to do with baking, you might ask? The answer is everything. First, prunes are a great ingredient on their own when it comes to baking. Imagine a California prune bread with pecans and cardamom, or a ginger prune snacking cake, or thumbprint cookies with a jammy prune filling. I'd love one of those right now. Second, if you're looking to make some healthy baking ingredient swaps, you can use prune puree as a replacement for sugar, oil, or even eggs in certain baked goods. Homemade prune puree is so simple. It's prunes and water blended together, and the puree keeps in your fridge for up to four weeks. And third, snacking. California prunes are a super snack because they're loaded with nutrients like vitamin K, dietary fiber, potassium, and antioxidants, all of which are good for your heart, gut, and bones. And you know how important that is. California prunes are portable, delicious, and have just the right level of sweetness. You can find California prunes at your favorite grocery store or specialty shop. To learn more and snag some great recipes, head over to californiaprunes.org. Now, back to our guest. All right, let's jump into birthday cake, which I'm extremely, as I said before, excited to talk about with you. You have this great post on your blog, which is basically where you pull out like 12 of your best birthday cakes. Although I noticed that you can also Google birthday cake on your blog and you'll even come up with more like the Funfetti birthday bunt and the Big Berry birthday cake. So just note to listeners, there are so many awesome birthday cakes and cakes on Joy's site that you need to see. But the one we're going to talk about today is everybody's favorite chocolate birthday cake. And can you tell us a little bit about this cake? Yes, so I feel like everyone should have a birthday cake repertoire. And this should include a vanilla birthday cake that you like tried and true. And a chocolate birthday cake, again, tried and true. Because when you want to make someone a chocolate birthday cake, the most important cake of the year, you don't want to go searching Google what is the best chocolate. No, you need to know. And I figured it out for you. It is this cake. So it's everybody's chocolate birthday cake made for everybody. And thing is, I didn't invent chocolate cake. I don't claim to have invented chocolate cake. I found the best chocolate cake, made it from scratch, and paired it with the best chocolate frosting. So the best chocolate cake, in my opinion, is Hershey's Black Magic Cake. It is magic. You'll find it on the Hershey's box on the Hershey's website. It is a combination of cocoa, not chocolate, just cocoa powder, oil, key for a chocolate cake, Butter, not today. I love butter, but not today in a chocolate cake. Buttermilk, coffee, and then you have a high proportion of sugar as to the flour ratio. So it is perfectly like spongy, soft, really gives to a fork when you slice a fork through it, but it's sturdy at the same time. So sturdy enough to stack to make a layer cake. And it has this really beautiful dark chocolate color. To make it even darker, sometimes I add a couple tablespoons of black cocoa to make it super dark. 
but that's optional. It is just kind of a pantry staple, perfect chocolate cake. So I want to just say a couple of things that you mentioned in this blog post generally about cake as we dive into this, about birthday cake. What I love is you say, always serve a birthday cake with a greeting card, which I just thought that was so nice and sweet. But I loved this idea that you're giving people tips, and one of them is a greeting card, and that you say sprinkles because sprinkles are great. I also love that you say you love sheet cakes for birthday cakes because that is so nostalgic for me, and I just love that. And when we talk, we're going to be talking about this cake as a layer cake. But just quickly, will you shout out, you you mentioned you have a pan you love, and you said it has tight corners, which also I think is like a sexy way to... I'm always going to be talking about my pants. She's got tight corners. So will you tell us what the brand is? Because I know I'm always in search of a perfect sheet pan for a birthday cake, and I wanted you to share your fave. Yeah. Gosh, it's so funny to be picky about sheet pans, but I like the the Williams-Sonoma Gold Touch 9x13 rectangular sheet pan. It's just a perfect pan. The pan itself is nonstick, so you don't have to, you have to, you might want to grease it some, but you don't have to line it with parchment paper for extra insurance. You don't need the insurance, which is what you want for a sheet cake, because if you're serving it from the pan, like we do with sheet cakes, you don't want the parchment paper underneath of there. Yeah. No, thank you. 100%. So it gets like wrinkly and weird. Kills the vibe. So yeah, the Gold Touch pan is a perfect pan. All of their bakeware is great, but I really love that square and rectangular pan. So one of the ingredients in the cake, important ingredient, is buttermilk. And I love that you give us a couple of substitutes for buttermilk, one of which I'd never even heard of, which is milk and cream of tartar. Could you tell us if somebody doesn't have buttermilk around and it's great in this cake, what do you suggest? How do you make your own buttermilk at home? So if you don't have buttermilk That's fine. What you want to mimic from buttermilk is the acidic element and also some of the viscosity, some of the thickness of that buttermilk that you're missing. So I like to take a whole milk if I have it and mix it with an acid. So either cream of tartar or a little bit of lemon juice, not my favorite, or a little bit of vinegar, also not my favorite because while those do curdle the milk some, it's not going to give us that viscosity, that thickness of buttermilk. My actual favorite thing to do if I have it is to take either sour cream or yogurt and mix it in with whole milk until I get a little bit more of a buttermilk thickness to the liquid. Those are my tricks. Love it. I love that. The cocoa powder. This is interesting because in the recipe you say you like Hershey's Natural for this. I have, I just have recently become obsessed with Hershey's Special Dark. That is, I was just going to use an expletive, that is the bomb. It reminds me of a very expensive cocoa powder that I love that's Dutch processed, but that is expensive. And I feel like the Special Dark is pretty great, Joy. Are you agreeing with me on that? I'm fully with you. I'm fully with you. The Special Dark is the sleeper hit of the chocolate aisle. Right. It is. And it's really great in this cake. And so, yes, I like to use the special dark. I usually have the regular cocoa powder mm-hmm. on hand. I don't always have the special dark, but it is, it's the move for this cake Okay, for good. Sure. Just checking. And then oil. You were saying that this is just not a time for butter. What I love about chocolate cake is that you can use oil in it. I assume, though, if you wanted melted butter, which is still going to work here. 
Yeah, it's absolutely going to work and it's going to taste delicious. There's not a thing wrong with it. But something about the oil, I think because oil is pure fat, 100% fat, as opposed to milk solids and water, there's something about that pure, unadulterated fat that really lends itself to the texture of the cake that helps makes it bouncy, helps make it moist. Butter has the taste, but the taste of this cake is chocolate. Let us not be confused. So you really do want oil because of its unadulterated fattiness. This recipe calls for a couple of eggs. I know sometimes when I'm making a chocolate cake or even a regular cake, I'll throw in a yolk for more moisture, more fattiness, more unctuousness. Are you ever throwing in yolks when you're making cakes? (laughs) You're a wild one. Just throwing in yolks. I don't usually (laughs) throw in a yolk if if I'm making a cake. I like a whole egg in a cake because I think that the egg whites add the lightness. Yep. The yolks add the richness. And so I think I can see like if I were making an olive oil cake or something like that, I can see how an extra yolk might be nice. But for this cake, it's like just straight down the line. Yep. The granulated sugar. Sometimes I'll put brown sugar in a chocolate cake. What do you think? Or does, or you talk to me about your choice of the white sugar here. I think the brown sugar would add a different level of richness mm-hmm. to it. If I were to substitute brown sugar in this cake, I would substitute half of it, like Mm -hmm. one cup brown sugar. But again, this is like one of those best ever use what's in the pantry kind of chocolate cakes. So sometimes you don't have both kinds of sugar. And granulated, I always have granulated because I can make brown sugar if I have granulated sugar usually. So yeah. And then flour. First, is there a favorite brand that you love? And second, do you have a preference like bleached flour, not bleached flour for this cake? Are we just talking unbleached all purpose or don't even overthink it because the cake can handle anything? Yeah, the cake can handle anything. You don't have to overthink it. Just a all purpose flour, just whatever. I have my favorites. I love King Arthur flour. I love the Whole Foods brand organic flour, also quality. Awesome. Yeah, those are my two. Those are the two I use most often. The coffee in this cake. Love this. I often realize in chocolate cakes when I'm adding some kind of coffee element, sometimes I don't have the cup of coffee, so I'll just do the hot water. And I usually have espresso powder on hand to always be able to add it to a cake. Do you think it matters whether you're using espresso powder and a cup of water versus a cup of actual coffee? No, I, I have the espresso powder for the same reason because yeah. usually I drink all the coffee right. and I don't want to make another pot. So yeah, espresso powder, Folgers, granulated yep. coffee powder. I have that a lot in my house because yep. it's nice and everything. Yep. Yeah, so coffee powder and hot water is perfectly perfect. And a lot of people know who bake and who bake cho- with chocolate, but can you tell people just why we're adding a little bit of coffee to this cake? Because it's not really for coffee flavor. No, it's not for the coffee flavor. You won't taste coffee, but you will taste more chocolate. It just enhances the flavor of chocolate really nicely. Yeah. This cake calls for two leavenings, both baking soda and baking powder. And sometimes I don't think people understand exactly why that is. I'm imagining the sodas here because of the buttermilk and the cocoa powder, but maybe just tell us a little bit without getting too much in the weeds of leavening, but why we someti- yeah. why you'll sometimes see. Because I think it's probably confusing. Chocolate chip cookies, it it's just confusing. soda. And then some cakes, it's just powder. But Yeah. So when you see baking soda, there's often an acidic element. So the acidic element on our cake here is the buttermilk. So the baking soda and the buttermilk will work together. Baking powder, a little bit of a different vibe. It works 
right when it hits liquid. So it's working in the batter before you even put it in the oven. And then it does some other work once it's in the oven. So we have a lot of different layers of rise that we want from this cake. Also the eggs will help the cake rise. Every ingredient has its, has its work to do. Just quickly, salt and vanilla. I'm really into using kosher salt in everything lately, but are you more of like a fine sea salt kind of gal or just table salt? Whatever you got, go for it. Whatever you got, go for it. That's the answer. But I write my recipes to either kosher salt or a fine sea salt because that's what I always have. And I I also think that is a reasonable thing to expect people to have in their kitchens kosher salt is super affordable it's great for it's great for baked goods it's great for pasta water it is the salt i've had like the fancy malden sea salt that's the salt i have here in houston for some reason so i'm crumbling that up with my fingers and putting that in my baked goods hey we're fancy like we're doing that until the box runs out (laughs) and then we'll figure out yeah it's a texas thing it's a texas thing and then finally vanilla I won't lie. Sometimes I'm just using McCormick's. Sometimes I'm using something a little fancier. Are you similar-ish or do you have a go-to brand? I have different, I have (laughs) different vanilla extracts for different purposes. It's bizarre. If we're going for a chocolate cake that's going in the oven, I'm using my McCormick, not even measuring it, splashing it in. I also ask myself like, does this really matter? I don't know. I don't know, but we're putting it in. Sure. New layer. Great. (laughs) But if I'm doing something like a panna cotta or a cream cheese frosting, that's when I take out my little bottle of vanilla bean paste. Not Mm. vanilla beans, vanilla bean paste. And that is beautiful. It's like a really viscous vanilla extract with loads of vanilla bean pods in it. And so that's really nice. I don't put that in my baked goods because it would disappear. But I put that in stuff that doesn't get baked very much and that you can visually see like a cream cheese frosting. All right. Now I want to talk about this epic chocolate frosting that goes on top. There are two secret ingredients. The first one being some Ovaltine. Can you tell peeps a little bit about Ovaltine? And here's my question. I think I know the answer. I like to use malt powder a lot. Is Ovaltine the same? as malt powder. I don't know what they did or why they did it, but <laughs> Ovaltine is like a healthier hot chocolate mix. They were like, it has vitamins in it. And you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. And they have a rich chocolate Ovaltine and then they have a malted chocolate Ovaltine. So one Ovaltine has malt powder in it. It's delicious. Uh, Go for it. Yeah. And the other does not. It's okay. totally your preference. But Ovaltine, I mix Ovaltine with heavy cream for this chocolate frosting recipe and it adds the most fluffy smooth chocolate flavor it just is the best chocolate frosting you'll ever have oh my gosh it sounds incredible and then you add a little bit of peanut butter that you say cuts the sweetness i mean obviously it gives peanut butter vibes but also cuts the sweetness because of the saltiness yeah so obviously if you're not a fan of or allergic to peanuts, you would not use this trick. And you might add an extra extra pinch of salt. But I like to add peanut butter to this chocolate frosting because, number one, I like peanut butter and chocolate. Number two, peanut butter has this like nutty, salty flavor. Obviously, it's peanut butter. And it just lends itself really nicely to a sweet chocolate frosting. Yum. Yes. And then the other ingredients are powdered sugar, a teeny bit of milk, 
cocoa powder and butter, and then the heavy cream you mentioned. And I wondered about that tiny bit of milk. I assume it's there because you're adding it. You're adding a little bit of sugar, a little bit of milk, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of milk. So you're using the milk, even though there's heavy cream in this recipe, to help smooth out the integration of the sugar into the rest of the ingredients. Yeah. I think that how this chocolate frosting comes together lends itself to how good the chocolate frosting is. So you will beat together butter and cocoa powder to start. And that is like a gnarly process. It's a very thick mixture because there's no, virtually no liquid. And then we'll add vanilla, salt, powdered sugar and ask that to come together. And so because we're adding (laughs) more, more dryness to this mixture, we want to add a couple tablespoons of milk just to loosen it up just a little bit to incorporate the powdered sugar. And then the grand finale is that you turn the mixer up and you add this heavy cream and Ovaltine mixture. What you're doing with the heavy cream while you whip it is that you're aerating the cream within the butter, the buttercream frosting. And so it makes it like just so fluffy. Whereas I've seen some chocolate frostings that can really be pretty thick and hard to spread, but that heavy cream will make it really nice, fluffy, spreadable. I have to say, I always, just when I make like an American buttercream, my go-to recipe is, of course, like butter, confectioner, sugar, vanilla, salt. But rather than use a little bit of milk or whatever else people, I always put heavy cream in my American buttercream just for that reason. Because it, And then if you whip it extra long, you are actually adding some lightness from that whipped cream, which cuts the sweetness a teeny yes. bit and also just adds incredible texture. It adds volume in a surprising way. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't be too surprising because we whip cream and it is... <laughs> incredibly voluminous, right. but it, even a small amount in something like an American buttercream can really make a big difference. Oh my it's gosh, pretty cool. so yummy. So I wanted to talk a little bit about just assembling our cake. First things first, I noticed that you have people grab their pans because this is a layer cake, so a couple of nine-inch rounds, let's say, and you say to grease and flour, so no parchment. If you want to use parchment, if you are fully invested yep. in cutting out parchment circles, I respect it. There is a part of me that is incredibly lazy in the kitchen. And I know you understand. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's lazy or just like realism. And I feel like people aren't going, people don't want to do that. Yeah. People don't want to, no. Yeah. And I don't blame them because I don't want to do it. No, this cake does not need parchment paper rounds. It just needs to be creased and floured well. And that's it. And how do you feel about those sprays? I use Pam. And then if I was going to flour, I would just do flour on top of the Pam. Sorry, haters, if there's anyone who's not into Pam, but I like it. But would you use a spray or are you using, are you buttering and then flouring? What does Joy the Baker do? That's what we want to know. Yeah, it depends on what I have. So for this recipe, sometimes if a cake calls for butter, I'll put out a little bit of extra butter to grease the pan. This cake does not call for butter. So we're not buttering, we're not buttering a pan. Come on. So I will use a spray and the spray is called Baker's Joy. That's great because then you don't have to flour the pan. Pam is great too. My dad makes this mixture of oil and vegetable shortening and flour that he has in this designated container with a brush. He is committed to the process. He's a Virgo. So like it makes sense. That's how he greases every pan. But he makes a lot of bundt cakes. Bundt cakes are a different story. You need to grease the pan. You need to be committed to greasing that pan super well. So we got our pans greased. I love that this recipe, as we discussed is one bowl. So basically all you're asking peeps to pull out in terms of tools is a whisk, a bowl, and a measuring cup. 
because we're going to do some measuring in that cup. I love that there's no—this sounds dumb, and but I maybe you can relate because we both do not like doing dishes. I love that there's no spatula, that you're just going to whisk in the dry ingredients. You're No, there's no gentle folding. And I was practicing this, I won't lie, last night when I was making a— cake for something, seeing if you could avoid the spatula altogether, because I think you might need it to scrape the bowl to get the batter. But I was like, I'm going to scrape with my friggin' whisk. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a rebel. (laughs) I'm a crazy gal in the kitchen. you can. Yeah. You can. Yeah. It depends on what kind of scraper you are. I'll get get most of it out of the bowl. Okay. Most of it is out of the bowl in the pan. My mom... Is a she wants every last yeah. drop. Like you could put the bowl back in the cupboard yep. when she's done scraping oh it. Like I am not I've moved on. Yep. I have moved on from that bowl. So yeah, you could scrape with a whisk. It's enough. It's good. Let's go. So basically peeps with this recipe, they're whisking dry and then you have people you measure everything in the wet ingredients in the measuring cup and then just pour it in and yeah. you whisk and you're done. Yeah, that's it. Your recipes on the site have both grams and cup and volume. When you're at home, are you just using your scale? Yes, I usually just use my scale. You mentioned the batter's thin, which I know it is because I've made versions of this cake before. And then once it's in the oven and it's baked, etc., and it's time for testing, here's the million-dollar question. Do you like a long skewer to test, a paring knife to test, a toothpick? How are you going to test? And do you like some moist crumbs? Oh my gosh, here's the thing. I don't puncture the cake to test it. Holy moly, Joy. <laughs> You're blowing I don't like my to. mind. I don't like to do that. Uh-uh. So uh, maybe uh, <laughs> I've been baking for a long time. Yep. So what I do is I have one pot holder on my left hand, pull the racks out. You can tell just by how the cakes act when they get pulled out. Like if they have any jiggle to them, they're not done. Yep. But... I just give it I give just give the top of the cake a little tap. Yep. And if it feels like it's wet under there, if it feels like if it's battery, I leave it in for a few more minutes. But I don't really use a tool to test the cake aside from my finger. Honey, tapping you've on blown the top. my mind. I'm not sure I can follow suit. I'm too anxious, but I love this. I love the idea of not puncturing my cake's top because I do hate all the punctures. And sometimes if I can't get it right, there are a lot because I put it back in for a minute and I test again. But if it's yeah. something I've never made and you're a little bit like, just yeah. a minute. But I love that. There are so many characteristics of a cake being done aside from inside. Like the outside ring will be pretty dry. The top of the crust will be will look dry and not wet. It won't have a jiggle to it. There are other signs that I look for aside from what's inside. And it starts to come but, away from the side slightly. Yeah. 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 This is controversial, though. and But also, there is that very fragile time in the cake baking process where the cake can fall. And so I've had that happen to me enough times to leave a cake alone until about five minutes mm-hmm. before the timer goes off and I want to check it. It really just needs some alone time so, in the so oven. So you're not a rotator? Like, I rotate halfway through. No? Oh, I don't rotate halfway through. Maybe in the, like, last third okay. of the baking process. But I feel like halfway through, the cake is still trying to build its structure. Mm-hmm. That I don't want to jostle it and have it fall. Yep. So the cake is going to cool for about 10 minutes in the pan. And then you have us invert it. 
two queries. One, could it just cool in the pan? And then two, any tips for inverting cakes? and Because that can be tricky for peeps. I think if you are going to commit to lining the bottom of the pan with parchment paper, you can let the cake cool in the pan. But as the cake cools in the pan, it will start to <laughs> bond with the pan and want to stay in the pan. And so a completely cool cake is more likely to stick to the bottom of a pan than one that is still just slightly warm. You want the pan, like the metal part of the pan, to be warm, but you can still handle it without pot holders. That's how I gauge when I can invert the cake safely. And I take my cooling rack, like a wire cooling rack, put it on top of my cake in the pan and just give it a, take a deep breath and just give a little flip. And my mom takes a butter knife and taps the top of the pan. I don't know. I do it too, just because it's like a superstition thing. So I don't know if it is helpful or not. Just do it. Some things you just do, you know? And then gently lift the pan. You can sometimes feel the cake release thanks to gravity if it hasn't already. It just, listen, it's a time. It's a time. Every every baker, every time they pull a cake pan off of a cake, there is, I would say, 35%. Well, I hope this yep. works. And then do you then flip it back so it cools right side up? Or do you not worry about if it's cooling upside down since it's going into your cake anyway? I don't worry about if it's cooling upside down because... I like to frost. I like the bottoms of my cakes to be the top of the layer cake. Makes sense. Makes sense. And now our delicious frosting. You talked already a teeny bit about how this one's assembled. This one definitely is. You're going to use a stand mixer or a hand mixer, and you're going to need a spatula. But you talked about how we're getting all of our ingredients together. Is there a time during the mixing of this where you'd like to just let it go for a couple of minutes and really incorporate? Or is it a minute here and then you're done? It's more like a minute here, a minute at the end, 30 seconds or so at the end, and you're done. You don't want to overbeat the frosting too much because the butter can break. That means the water has separated from the fat solids. There's really just no coming back from that. And it's not the end of the world. It still tastes good. It just looks a little... Curdly. Curdly. And it's... Gosh, it's a foe. It is a foe of mine, but not a big deal. And then time for frosting the cake. First of all, I wanted to ask, are you putting a plate on top of your rotating cake stand? Ah, I do that, yeah. That's brilliant. That. So that's like your serving plate that's going to go yeah. on top. Ah, mind blown again. That's going to go on top of the stand. And then tell people about the parchment diamond. A parchment diamond is three paper size sheets of parchment paper that I make a triangle out of on my plate and then I put the first cake layer on top and build the cake and frost it. It helps so that I'm not making a mess of the sides of the plate or the cardboard, whatever I have the cake on, while I frost it. So when I'm done frosting the cake, I can gently pull the parchment paper from under the cake and do any touch-ups on the side that the cake may need and you're ready to go. Love it. And then for this, for the frosting part in terms of tools, you like people to use a a bench scraper. And then I loved this, a piping bag, even for just a cake that you're going to be smoothing frosting. I noticed you're piping the frosting onto the sides of the cake on the layers. Can you walk us through using the piping bag for this? I think this is a trick that I have taken from my bakery days. We would have just giant piping bags filled with frosting and 
pipe our cakes that way. So you pipe ribbons, huge tubes of frosting around the sides of your cake and then smooth it with either a bench scraper or a offset spatula. And it just is a way to keep from dipping your offset spatula into a big bowl of frosting. It may have crumbs on it. It may have some residue on it that you don't want in your main frosting. And so piping, putting the frosting in a piping bag sort of mitigates that. It's not the most friendly home baker technique, but some of those tricks that came from bakeries are for a very efficient reason. So that's carried over. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. What's great about this blog post for people that want to go look at this cake, Joy has pictures of every step, so you can piping, etc. I also loved this yeah. when you're, I think this is when, oh gosh, I wrote this and now I think it is when you're still frosting it, but maybe it's when you're cutting the cake. You talked about dipping the knife into water and then just shaking it off. You don't actually even dry it. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Yeah, again, a little lazy. I know, but honey, uh, that's it's my lazy love language. Yes. So I think that a glass of warm water, like a pint glass of warm water, is essential to frosting a cake. And I use an offset spatula. If you don't have an offset spatula, the dull side of a butter knife also works just fine. You just want a flat edge without any ridges in it. And I find that when people who haven't decorated or frosted cakes very often attempt to, they end up with a lot of gunk, a lot of frosting on their knife that they're just fighting with at this point. I teach people to clean off their knife, either scrape the excess frosting into the bowl and then put the knife in hot water. It won't completely clean the knife, but it will create a hot surface, a warm surface on that metal that'll easily glide over the frosting that's on the cake. And I don't want to get chocolate frosting all over my all over my kitchen towels. So I just take the knife out of the water, shake it over the sink, and keep frosting. Like, it's fine. We want to keep the knife warm and relatively clean. And a little bit of water, a couple water drops on the cake, totally fine, not a big deal. Love it. Love it. We frosted the cake. It's beautiful. And I think you recommend some sprinkles, which I love. It's not a birthday cake if it doesn't have sprinkles right? on it. It just, these are the rules. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But I thought I would also mention another birthday cake that's on your site that we could talk about maybe for a little bit. The cake is coconut, and you and there, here's a quote which I love because we're basically the same person. You write, my favorite birthday cake is actually anything made with a cake mix. And I have to tell you that I ask my children, who are not little anymore, they're like teenagers, but anyway, I, every year what I ask for my birthday is for them to make me a cake from a box cake mix cake. That is what I want. Often, Joy, when I'm developing cake recipes, I'm always like, God, it doesn't taste enough like it came from a box. I got to redo this. (laughs) So that is definitely one of my faves. And you have this great cake on the blog, your coconut cake, that you make with a cake mix and you doctor it. And because you have this fabulous cake mix line at Williams-Sonoma that's so beautiful and the cakes look amazing, I wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about how you doctor this coconut cake and how we might be able to doctor some cakes at home. Oh, my gosh. I My favorite birthday cakes growing up was like the Funfetti yes. cake mix that my grandmother would make. Yes. Like I would still I remember the that frosting. It had these melty chocolate kind of sprinkles inside. Yeah. I don't know. It was just a magical time. And so cake mix holds a very strong place in my heart. And I think people sleep on cake mixes because <laughs> they are so good. They make the most nostalgic 
tasting cakes that you cannot really replicate. You cannot get that combination of sugar and chemical flavor in no. <laughs> from scratch baking. You have your white cake or your yellow cake, and you add sour cream. So there's water and eggs and mm. oil, which most cake mixes ask for. But then you have yes. us add sour cream and a cup of cream of coconut, which is brilliant and one yes. of my fave ingredients. And this is maybe a little bit of a silly question, but can every cake mix handle that much more kind of liquid and fat? I thought yeah. that was so smart. This cake I tested a lot of times because I was trying to replicate my friend Suzanne's perfect from scratch coconut cake that I and I love this coconut cake but I don't love making it I love when she makes it for me it just is very labor intensive and it's a coconut layer cake that after it's baked it's soaked with a sour cream and powdered sugar and coconut mixture and I just thought what if I put that inside of a cake? Yes. And also we know we have a history of sour cream being amazing in cakes because it's in so many cakes and pound cakes. It's just a very good sour element. And I think it. I think you could add sour cream to every cake mix with success. Yep. I just thought that was so brilliant. And then I also love in this cake, which it sounds like it's maybe from your friend Suzanne's cake, but you have the, it's almost like a simple syrup on steroids because you have sour cream, cocoa, Lopez, and sugar almost like glaze. Like you poke the cake like tre leche style. And then I also thought that was brilliant for kind of elevating a cake mix cake, doing some kind of poke cake situation with whatever flavor. Yes, where it's not too much. It's not enough liquid to sink to the bottom of the cake and be muddy. There is room, I think, in every cake. If we did a strawberry sheet cake from a cake mix, a sour cream, strawberry puree, powdered sugar mixture over the top would be amazing, I think. It just softens that top layer, and I think it helps the frosting meld to it better. It makes makes it more seamless. It almost reminds me of what we do with Texas sheet cakes, where we have the hot cake and the hot frosting, and we're trying to get that very tiny, like almost fudgy layer in between the two, which is like heaven. That's exactly it. Yeah, which is like heaven. You nail it. You nail it. We could talk about cake literally all day. Oh, my gosh. Because you get it. You get it. I do get it. Just one more shout out for your delicious cake mixes at Williams-Sonoma. I love, they're a little bit different, I feel, than the average cake mix. Obviously, I haven't made one yet, but I will be. But the idea that you have, I noticed, in one of them, you keep the sugar separate from the other dry ingredients because you actually have people cream that sugar with butter. And I just think there's some very thoughtful tweaks that obviously make these, I'm sure. I heard someone say recently they didn't like it when people use the word elevated with different food things, but I'm going to use it. I hope it's okay. But it makes them slightly elevated, but still in a very accessible way. So I'm really excited to bake them. Oh, I can't wait for you to bake them. You have to tell me what you think. I don't think elevated is a bad word. Okay, good. And I think that the idea behind them was to make the mixes like baking light. It's like your friend measured all the ingredients out for you, went to the store, got all the little things, measured them out, and you just get to do the fun parts of baking and come out with a beautiful quarter sheet cake that are, they're fun and creative and meant to be like playful. Yes, that's certainly how they seem to me. We've got our birthday cake. We've decorated it. It looks beautiful. We put our sprinkles on. Now we put our candles on. In this age of COVID and germs and all of that, how are we blowing out our candles? Do you have any suggestions for us? that's a good question. 
I, okay, I had this come up recently. And what I did was I sliced into the cake before the candles went in. Sliced into the cake, put that cake on a beautiful plate with a beautiful candle in it, removed the other cake, and we sang happy birthday with a single slice. They blew out the candle because they were blowing on their own cake. And then like we slice the rest of the cake and all brilliant. That's I think maybe that's how we do yeah. it. The waving, like when people wave their hand back and forth across a cake, it is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> that is like it brings a tear to my very soul that I made a cake for you to wave over. Get out of here. Insult the <laughs> insult the baker. <laughs> I get it. And then I also wanted to know, in the history of Joy's birthdays, is there like a favorite cake that you remember? I think my favorite birthday cake was round cake that my mom made me for my fifth birthday. And I remember she woke me up from a nap, made me come in the kitchen so she could trace my hand, (gasps) like all five fingers of my hand. And then she cut my little traced hand out of one of the cake rounds and put it on top of like frosted it and put it on top of the cake the cake said like my one hand birthday because i was turning five and i was like this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in five years this is it and that's my most memorable cake i just love that mom is like some mad cake genius and so creative I love that. That's so cute. Oh, my gosh. And I absolutely did make her make me a two-hand birthday cake when I turned 10. My next fifth birthday is going to be 45. So how many hands is that? Nine hands? It's going to be a big-ass cake. Nine (laughs) hands. It's going to be a big cake, Mom. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Joy, for chatting with me. And I just wanted you to know that you are my cherry pie. Oh, this has been so fun. That's it for today's show. Thank you to Joy Wilson. You can find the recipe for Joy's chocolate birthday cake on cherrybomb.com, and the link is in our show notes. Thank you to Le Creuset and California Prunes for supporting our show. She's My Cherry Pie is a production of Cherry Bomb magazine. Our show is recorded at CityVox Studios in Manhattan. Our executive producers are Carrie Diamond and Catherine Baker, and our associate producer is Jenna Sadu. Thank you for listening to She's My Cherry Pie, and happy baking.